man, I love my church. No, my city. Sorry, I love my city. How many of you guys love the city? And yesterday was gorgeous. Yesterday was like the day when Eugene just shines, right? We're, we're doing this series all about loving our city. Um, you know, how many of you guys are risk takers? Raise your hand if you're like, I'm a risk taker. Yep. How many of you guys are, nope, I'm cautious. I'm not a risk taker. Well, um, Jake, he's my husband, and he, he, um, he is a, not a risk taker. In case you didn't know that. Maybe you guys figured that from the things he says, like he doesn't like to go outside. But he, he is a cautious person. Um, that's just the way that God made him. And so God brought us together because I am a risk taker. <laughs> I can't really help it. I like to take risks. I like to take adventures. Uh, if you guys have ever taken a Myers-Briggs um, you know, personality test. We were going through some of the funny Myers-Briggs things uh, the other day, and um, we were cracking up because it said heaven to my, my personal personality type was you get to go every day on an amazing adventure, and all of everyone you love is excited to go with you right? Because that's the one bummer about being a person who likes to take risks, who likes to go on adventures, is it's hard to get other people to go with you, right? It's hard. You know, Jake and I, on our honeymoon, we had this amazing bus tour. We went through Scotland, um, England, and Wales, and it was so awesome, except we were by far the youngest people on this bus tour, Everyone else was quite a bit older than us. I'm not going to say they were old, but they were quite a bit older than us. And so we were almost like their pets on this tour, right? Because we were the young people, we were the newlyweds, and so they were always, you know, checking in on us and just, you guys are so cute, and things like that, you know, right before they took some medicine to be able to eat their food. I'm joking. But... um. <laughs> This, it was a really amazing tour. The only bummer was is that when you go on these kind of tours, the pace is a little bit slow for me, right? We got to tour these amazing castles, these museums, all sorts of um, cathedrals, just, I mean, astounding places. But you had to move so slow. And I am not good at moving slow. I really am not good at moving slow. I have three little kids, and they have helped me get a little bit better at moving slow. But still, like yesterday, I was walking somewhere with my five-year-old, Evie, and she's very tall for five. She has long legs. And she still was like, Mom, you know what's wrong with adults? And I said, what? And she said, their legs are longer, and they can walk a lot faster than kids. And I said, are you telling me you need me to slow down a little bit? And she goes, yes. Okay, I'll slow the pace a little bit. But, you know, we had been doing all of these tours of all these places, and, and we were doing this tour of this castle. And technically, this castle should be called Belvoir Castle, except they call it Beaver Castle, right? And so Beaver Castle, and this castle is amazing, right? It's a castle, so it's amazing. But what's really cool about this castle is that people, the, the people who, I don't know what they be, the Duke, the Duke, they still live in it. The same Duke that family line that built it, they still live in it. And so there was only parts of the castle that you got to tour because they're living in this home, right? And so that just was fascinating to me. And you know, this was a few days into the tour and we're going our normal, extremely slow pace. And I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I would look like 
you know, a little bit into the places we weren't allowed to go. They had to have those like velvet ropes, you know, that you'd show that you're not allowed to go there. And there, it was just astounding because you'd see all this old stuff, you know, gorgeous paintings and just architecture and all these amazing artifacts. And then you'd look around the corner and there'd be like Hot Wheels set up. <laughs> it was just the most bizarre thing. And I just was like, I have to see this place. I have to see it. So at one point in the tour, I just slowly made my way away from the group and I slipped over into the other parts of the castle and it was amazing. It was awesome, the things that I saw because it was this castle. So you have, you know, Downton Abbey meeting with 2007, right? <laughs> that was that long ago. For those of you that are young, you're like, I was in junior high. Great. So. 2007, you know, and it was just this bizarre thing. We, I, down in the dungeons, it was probably dungeons at some point, but the basement, they were these um, homeschool rooms. Now, I don't really think this uh, duchess is probably homeschooling her children. I think it's probably a person who is homeschooling these children. And they're not even really homeschool rooms. It's basically a school down there. But I, go, I, got, I went down into those rooms and there was like a Pepsi can sitting there. It was just the coolest thing. And it was so fun. And then I finally like was like, okay, I better make my way back to the group. And like slowly came back to the group and kind of just stood in the back like I'd been there all along. And Jake comes up to me and he's like, where have you been? I, I was looking for you and I knew the group was kind of spread out, you know, because you have the slow people and then the extremely slow people. So it's kind of spread out. He was like, I, I've been looking for you the whole tour and I never caught up with you. And I was like, hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Because, you know, we'd only been married a few days, right? And, and you, you know, when you're, you're, when you're engaged, when you find the person that you want to marry, you, you kind of know them, but you don't totally know them yet. And so I wasn't exactly sure how he was going to react to this. And so I think I waited until we left the castle, right? You know, because I didn't want him to tell on me. I didn't know. He's a rule keeper. He's cautious. He might be like, she cheated. Give her a fine, you know? So I think I waited and I, and I told him, he was like, why did you do that? You could have been caught. You weren't supposed to do that. And I was like, it was amazing. <laughs> I wasn't caught, no one saw me, and it was amazing. So today, I just come to tell you, you should break all the rules. No, I'm teasing. No, that's not the point of today. But today, I do want to talk to you about, in life, sometimes it's hard for us to take risks. But with God, and especially with loving our city, we need to be people that will take risks. And today I want to tell you about two men in the Bible who took a big risk. You know, the story that I'm going to read to you in just a minute, it takes place. It's right after Jesus was here on earth. He was the son of God, but he was in man form. You know, he lived on the earth for 33 years. He did countless miracles. He did, he spoke words that people were astounded with the words that he taught. He was just incredible, right? It was God. But then he, he dies on the cross and they, he, he's dead. So they take his body down and they put it into a tomb. And then after three days, he rises from the dead. Um, another amazing miracle. I mean, as if he hadn't already done enough, he conquers death, he conquers sin. And he goes to his followers and he gives them their last commandment right? He says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's telling them, go and tell everybody about me. 
right? He, that's what he's wanting them to do. And then he also tells them, I want you guys to go and wait because I'm going to send someone who's going to come and help you. And so the followers, they go, and, and this is how the beginning of Acts starts. They're waiting in this room, and they're waiting for whoever it is that God is sending. And after 120 days, now that's being patient. That would have been hard for me. I would have been like, can I like cut out for a while? Go do something fun? I'll check back in see what happened, right? But that would have been hard to just wait. And they waited for that long and God sent the Holy Spirit and empowered everyone in that room to go and boldly preach the gospel. And this is really when the church became a movement. This is really when the church basically, you know, gets on the train and starts going. And it says in, in that moment, on that day, there was over 2,000 people added. It tells us that they began to meet in each other's houses. They began to break bread together, that they, they were basically becoming churches, right? And so that's where our story picks up. It's in Acts chapter 3. Verse one, it says, now Peter and John, these are two of Jesus's followers, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. How many of you guys say, yep, I got no silver and I got no gold, right? But what I do have, I give to you. Did you notice a lot of people didn't raise their hands? We should ask all of them to take us to lunch. All of you who raised your hands, go to the ones who didn't raise their hands and say, I know you got gold. Come on, share it. I'm just kidding. But, um, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. If you grew up in church right now, you are singing a song in your head. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, praise the Lord, you're not singing that song in your head. It will be stuck in your head the rest of the day. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is an incredible story. I love the Bible because it, it like downplays everything. Have you guys noticed that? When you read the Bible and, and you know, you're kind of like not totally paying attention and then you're like, what? That, that's amazing. Why is that only this big? You know, this, this guy was lame from birth. Every single day, friends or family would literally carry him over in front of the temple just so that he can beg, beg for money. This is how he lived. We know people just like this, huh? We see them every day. And that was his life. And Peter and John are just doing their life, right? They're not going somewhere like, oh man, we're going to see God do something amazing today. Or, oh man, we're pumped. No, they're going to pray. They're just doing their life, going to the temple. It's time to pray. But an amazing thing happened that day. The first thing that I like about this story that Peter did is it says in verse 4, Peter and John are about to go in the temple 
right? The beggar, he says, do you have any money? And it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. So the first thing for every single one of us to love our city is we have to notice them. We have to stop and notice the cry in the city. We have to stop and notice people. Can you imagine? I I have no idea, but maybe Peter and John always walked by this temple. Maybe they always went to this temple to pray. Maybe they had seen this man over and over and over. Maybe they knew him. But today was different because it says that he noticed him. He looked at him. He directed his gaze at him, and he saw something different. You know, it says in... um, in the story of David and Goliath, you know, David, he's a young boy and he's going to this battle, this war, and Goliath, this huge giant, is getting up and he's just you know, yelling at the Israelites. He's telling them, come fight me, right? And then the other thing that he's doing is he's mocking God. And all of the Israelite soldiers, they're just scared. They don't know what to do. And David, he's this 17-year-old kind of small guy. He's not a soldier. And it, but it says something interesting in that passage. It says, David heard Goliath, and he said, that guy can't defy our God, right? He heard something that the rest of the soldiers didn't hear. We have these great friends, and they live in Arkansas, and they lived in Louisiana during Hurricane Katrina. And and our friend, Pastor Randy, he tells this beautiful story about he got his family. You know, it was like, you have to get out. Of, of Louisiana, right? This is when the levees are breaking during Hurricane Katrina and, and he's getting his whole family and they're in the car and he's, they're trying to get out of the city. They're trying to evacuate. And him as a man, he's just so happy in the car, right? That he has his family, that they are safe, that they are getting out and they're, they're driving. They have the radio on and they're listening to what the hurricane is doing to their city. And he's not, he's not really paying attention to what the hurricane is doing because he's just so happy, right? That he's, he's getting his family out. And he said that in that moment, his wife turned to him, Miss Becky, and she says, Randy, all those people. And he looked at her and he realized she's hearing something I'm not hearing. I'm thinking about my family and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but I'm not hearing all those people that aren't getting out. Do you hear the cry in the city? You know, one of the ways that we can make sure that we can actually notice people, notice pain, notice hurt, is we have to quiet our life enough to be able to hear. I don't know about you, but my life is busy. Is your life busy? And, and sometimes when I'm, I'm, you know, at the store or I'm running to do something or I'm at the park or I'm doing this or I'm doing that, I'm not slow enough to hear. I'm not slow enough to notice. We have to quiet our life enough that we can actually notice the pain around us. You see, if you're so busy and you have to zoom in and out of everywhere you go, then when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, pray for that person, you won't have the time. We have to quiet our life enough in order to have the time to help people, right? The second thing that Peter and John do is it says in verse six, but Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. They used what they had. 
You see, so many times we stop at, I don't have what you need, or I don't have what you're asking for, right? And a lot of times it is money. A lot of things in life, they're asking for our money. And, and we stop right there. We say, I don't have any money to give. Like literally, search my purse. <laughs> you might find a penny. <laughs> Good luck, right? There's cobwebs coming out, you know. And we say, oh, I don't have any money. But we stop right there and we don't give them what we do have. Every single one of you in this room, every single one of us, we have something to give. God has given you something. There is something in your hands. Throughout the Bible, that's what God uses is he uses what is in every single person in the Bible's hands. Moses, when God said, Moses, you're the one, you're gonna go, you're gonna free the Israelites, go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I can't do it not Pharaoh, Moses says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't speak well. I stutter. I can't do it. And God says, what's in your hand? And it was a staff. And God's saying, I, I, you, what you're going to use is already in your hand. With David, when David said, I'm going to go defeat that giant, right? They were like, you're not a soldier, David. You're just like a shepherd boy. And so they said, well, he's the only one who wants to go. So they tried to put all this armor on him and he and it didn't fit. It was too heavy. He wasn't used to it. And he said, take it off. I have to use what's already in my hand. I'm going to use my slingshot. You know, in, in the Bible, there's Esther. And Esther was this girl who basically, she was an orphan. And she was stolen, basically, from her home and put into a harem so that the king could figure out who he wanted to be his next queen. This is not a good existence, right? And yet, she becomes queen. And she's just this Jewish girl that is an orphan. But God placed her in that position, and it comes to a point where she has to speak up, where she has to speak out to save all of the Jews in the land. And she's a little bit nervous. And, her, and Mordecai comes to her and says, why do you think you're in this position? It's God. He put you here. What is in your hands? What do you have? You say, well, I, I can't get up and, and speak in front of people. That is, that is the least important thing. The most important things, the coolest impacts where I've been able to lead someone to Jesus have almost never had anything to do with me working at a church. Because it's just God using what's in your hands and you being willing to open your hands and say, God, use me. It was amazing. That video that we watched when we went to Shasta Middle School, no one there was like, you know, exegeting anything, right? Nobody there was, um, you know, I don't, what, any specialty skill, right? Well, there were specialty skills for some of you. But what were we doing? We were using what we had. They were like, bring rakes, bring shovels, bring power tools, bring gloves. We also brought all our kids, right? And it was amazing. It was an amazing impact because we used what we had and we did something awesome. We blessed an entire school and we showed them this is what God's love looks like. Isn't that incredible? We just have to be open to use what's in your hands. What skills do you have? What has God given you? Use it. Use what is in your hands. Um, I have a quote for you. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Isn't this beautiful? 
We get so worried. How can I tell people about Jesus? I'm gonna say it all wrong. I, I don't really understand what Leviticus is about, right? I'm gonna mess it all up. I don't know what to do. I don't have the words. I'm too scared. I'm an introvert. You guys are like, you are not an introvert, right? I can't do this. You know, all that evangelism really is, is us. Say, man, I didn't know where bread was and I was hungry, but I found it and it's over there. Peter and John, they had nothing. They were poor fishermen to begin with. And then Jesus came into their life and said, get rid of the boats, get rid of the nets. You're not gonna be fishermen anymore, but you're gonna be fisher of men. So now they are even more poor than they were before, right? Now I have even less than I had before. But he says, but what I do have, I will give to you. And what you do have is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If you call yourself a Christian. It says in the Bible that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That is more than enough for the hurting people around us. But we have to be bold enough to say, this is what I got. It's not money, but it's way better. We have to be those beggars that say, I was hungry. The bread's right there. The bread's right there. The third thing that Peter did is he believed for a miracle. He believed for a miracle. I love this. It says, Peter says to him, I have no silver or gold. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But the man does not get up, right? The man does not stand up. Then it says, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. That's scary, right? It doesn't say that the man immediately jumped to his feet and started walking around. No, it says Peter said that and then he believed. He grabbed him by the hand and believed that God was working a miracle in his body and pulled him to his feet. That blows my mind because I would be too scared, right? I'd be like, mm, please come through, right? What have we all how many of you guys, you've been in that moment and you're like, oh, please, Jesus, come through, come through. But he believed for a miracle. In your life, 100% of the miracles that you don't believe for won't happen. Let's begin to be people that believe for miracles. Do you have kids that need to find Jesus? Believe for a miracle. Do you have brothers and sisters that need to find Jesus? Believe for a miracle. Does your spouse need to find Jesus? Believe for a miracle. Do you need a spouse? Believe for a miracle. Right? We have to begin to be people that believe that the same God that's in the Bible, the same Jesus that walked on this earth that performed miracles can perform a miracle in my life. He can perform a miracle in my neighbor's life. He can perform a miracle in my boss's life. He can do miracles. There's a miracle I've been praying for, for, for about six years, almost daily I pray for this miracle and I haven't seen it yet. That's hard, but you know what? I believe it will happen. And I, and I know God can do it. There's no doubt in my mind God can do this thing. But he hasn't yet. Right? But I can believe for a miracle. What are the areas in your life that you need to just believe for a miracle? The fourth thing, Peter, he doesn't waste momentum. It says that the man, he gets up, he's healed. He begins to walk and leap. 
Isn't this amazing? It's just a beautiful picture. He's so excited. Can you imagine? You've never walked in your whole life and suddenly, I mean, not only is he able to walk, but he has the, the muscle, right? He's not atrophied. He's, he knows how to walk. Have you ever seen a baby learn how to walk? It takes time. But the miracle, this man is completely whole. He doesn't even have to learn how to walk. He can immediately leap. This is incredible, right? And he's walking and leaping. And it says a big crowd began to form. A huge crowd began to come because they all know, what is this guy doing? How is he walking? We all know that he's lame. What has happened? And Peter, he doesn't waste momentum. It says, if you keep reading verses 11 through 26, Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel to the crowd. He doesn't waste the momentum, right? He says, man, all these people are here. There's a miracle. Time to tell them all about Jesus. There's so many times in my life where I, I, I waste the momentum. God is doing something awesome and I just stop. And I don't just go with it, right? Let's, let's go further. You guys at Joy Church, we don't like to waste momentum. You may have noticed. We're always like the next big thing, the new awesome thing. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Why? Because there's a whole city out there that needs to know about Jesus. There's a whole city that needs God's, God's love. And if they're there, why not tell them? Why not tell him? He doesn't waste the momentum. He begins to preach the gospel to the people. Um, and then it says, if you, go, if you move on to chapter four, verse four, it says, but many of those who had heard the word believed. They're talking about Peter. When he got up and he preached this word, it says, but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That is amazing. That is amazing. And you know, it, before, this, before this chapter in the Bible, it talks about how there was about 2,000. Just trying to check, we don't see it. There was about 2,000 of them, right? So maybe the 5,000 was with the 2,000. That's 3,000 people from this miracle. That's not wasting momentum. That is incredible. And that's the fifth thing, see what God can do. Man, see what God can do in your life if you begin to be a person who takes risks and says, God, you can use me. God, tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. You can use me, God. If you are bold enough to begin to live your life that way, and when he begins to prompt you and say, pray for that person, give that person money, go talk to your neighbor, go do this. When you begin to be the kind of person that obeys Man, step back and see what God can do because he's gonna change your world. He's gonna change your neighborhood. He will change your family. And things where you thought, I never thought that person could be a Christian. You'll see them come in and give their lives to Jesus. But it takes us, it takes us loving our city. It takes us being bold. 